Luke 1, 26 through 38. And the title of this sermon is The Impossible Coming of the Messiah. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to let Christmas come and go each year without stopping to consider just how unfathomable the Christmas miracle really is. We see Christmas plays, nativity scenes, we even read the actual Christmas story from the Bible, and we think, that's a great story. But it's become so normalized for us that we don't stop to consider the magnitude of what's happening on Mary's life, on Joseph's life, and ultimately for the whole world. As we look forward to Christmas tomorrow, I want us to take a couple of moments this morning to consider Luke chapter 1 and the angelic announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary in detail. I know that this is rightly such a well-known text, but I want to encourage us to zoom in for just a little bit to meditate on the impossible coming of the Messiah. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Our three points for today's sermon are point one, unsettling grace. Point two, the impossible. And point three, a humble response. So point one, unsettling grace. From the very beginning, I want to point out a detail here that doesn't often get talked about around the Christmas season. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is sent by God to the tiny little backwater of Nazareth. He shows up to share a message with a young girl, probably age 12 to 14, who's engaged to a man named Joseph, whose family lineage goes back to King David 
We'll come back to that point later. But look at what the angel says to her in verse 28. And he came to to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Pretty standard angelic greeting, I guess. But what's he actually saying? Well, it's important to know that the two words translated greetings and favored share the same Greek root word. And they both come from the word for grace. In other words, to get at the play on words here, you might translate this greeting this way. Grace to you, O recipient of grace. The Lord is with you. Let's stop there for just a second. How would you receive or respond to that kind of greeting? An angel shows up and says to you, Grace to you, O recipient of grace. The Lord is with you. He says it again in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor or grace with God. How would you receive that? Doesn't that just give you the warm fuzzies? A Christmas angel bringing greetings of grace. But how does Mary receive it? This is one of those moments that maybe gets overlooked. Look at verse 29. But she, meaning Mary, was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Look at this. The text doesn't tell us that Mary was disturbed by the visual of the angel or that Gabriel's appearance troubled her. No, she's greatly troubled at the greeting. The question is, why? Why would an angelic message of God's grace trouble Mary? Well, I believe it's because she correctly understood grace. To help us understand this a little bit better, I want to share a story I read about Tim Keller this week. Apparently, after one of his sermons, a somewhat agitated woman approached him to confront him because she couldn't understand why she had never heard this message about how free and generous and unconditional God's grace is. After some insightful questions, Keller got to the bottom of her issue, and she said this. She said, If I have some contribution to make to my own salvation, well then, there's a limit to what God can ask of me. I've done my part, you see, and now he has to do his. But... If salvation is entirely free to me, all at his expense, if it's all grace, then that's really scary. Because it means if I accept this gift of grace, then there's no limit to what he can ask of me. That's exactly right. God's grace is free and generous and unconditional and unmerited in any way. We don't deserve it. And this has implications. It has consequences. I believe that Mary, in this angelic moment, seems to grasp this truth. The God of the universe has sent a messenger to her to tell her plainly that she's a recipient of God's free grace. 
Her response isn't like the excited child on Christmas morning waiting for presents. No, she's greatly troubled because she knows rightly that her entire life's about to change. She knows that God's grace won't simply keep the status quo in her life. It's going to disrupt it. Think about this. Mary had a pretty good, smooth plan ahead of her. She was engaged to a good man, a man who had a great lineage in the line of King David. They were engaged. The wedding date was set. She was going to be well taken care of, and life was good. But she knew that with this announcement, everything was about to change. Her plans, her hopes, her dreams were all about to be disrupted. She knew that because of the nature of God's grace, he was about to have no limit on what he could ask of her. And so I'll ask us this morning, do we understand Christianity in that way? God's grace is free, unconditional, and unmerited. We do nothing to earn or deserve it. But so often we assume that we can have a Christianity that leaves our life unchanged. That we can keep our plans and just sprinkle a little Jesus on them. I want us to hear this loud and clear. A Christianity that leaves your life unchanged isn't real Christianity. God's amazing grace will change your life. It'll never be the same again. True grace is unsettling. Mary grasped this truth in this moment. Point two, the impossible. After being greatly troubled, the angel shares the news with Mary. Look at verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary was right. Her life would never be the same from this point forward. From a human level, let's think about this. She wasn't even married yet. She would bear the reproach of the town gossip. She would be socially disgraced. Her plans of a white picket fence with the perfect marriage were off to a rocky start. And from a divine level, she was going to give birth to the Son of God. I imagine that would be a little overwhelming. And look at her response in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? That's a reasonable question, right? She's saying, this is impossible. To which the angel responds in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, aren't we? That's the punchline. But how did the angel get there? Let's rewind a little bit. While 
This is a normal birth. It's also the most unique birth in human history. Let's start back in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So just like with John the Baptist, this name wasn't a family name. It's a significant name. First, it's God who picked this name and relayed the message through Gabriel. It's by his authority. It's the name Jesus, which corresponds to the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Savior. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, adds this. She, meaning Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you see that? Not only will he be a savior, but a savior of sinners. Not a savior of the righteous, but a savior of sinners. This isn't a normal child being born here. Let's keep going back in our text. Verses 32 and 33. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. This child will be great, but greatness will be defined by this child as servanthood. He'll be called Son of the Most High. That's another way of saying the Son of God, which is explicitly said in verse 35 in our text. Let's keep going. Remember what Luke told us in verse 27, that Mary is engaged to Joseph of the house of David. Why is that important? Well, let's see what God promised David and his lineage way back in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you when, uh, wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, and here we go, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This child in Mary's womb is anything but normal. His name will be Savior. He will be great. He'll be the son of God. And he's the fulfillment of this promise to David that his offspring would be enthroned forever. Jesus is David's greater son. He's 
the promised Messiah, who would ultimately fulfill the Davidic covenant as the true Davidic king. That's what the angel is announcing here. Mary heard all of that, but she's still asking an honest question. Verse 32, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? I don't think she's doubting in that moment. I think she's asking an honest biological question here. How does the angel respond? Verse 35, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary, the biological question is a good one. But this is so much bigger than human biology. This is divine. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, first verse in the Bible. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. Tune in here. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Gabriel's saying, Mary, in the same way that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters in creation, he's going to overshadow you and knit together this child in your womb. So while he'll have the lineage of David through Joseph, he won't inherit original sin because he'll be born miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit. The angel goes on to explain this. He says, therefore, the child to be born will be called what? Holy, the Son of God. In other words, he'll be sinless, a spotless lamb. One who will be qualified to atone for the sins of the world. Do you understand this, Mary? God is in the business of doing miraculous things. He's in the business of doing the impossible. He's been doing this for thousands of years. Speaking a perfect world into existence. Impossible. But not for God. How about Sarah and Abraham? having a child at 90 years old. They didn't believe that was possible. But look at what God says to them. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. God says to Sarah and Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. A child at 90? Impossible. But not for God. Job knew this too. Look at Job's testimony. Job chapter 42, verse 2. Job says, I know that you, meaning God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. How about Jeremiah the prophet? Jeremiah 32, verse 17. He says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. And this is why the angel can say this in verse 37. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. In that moment in history, the moment that was anticipated since Genesis 3.15, 
when the initial promise was made. The moment that God's people had looked forward to for thousands of years. In that moment, God was about to make the impossible possible. Again, it's so easy for us to be so familiar with the Christmas story that we just brush past the magnitude of it all. Mary's life is about to be upended by God's grace. Second, the whole world is about to be changed. God is about to do the impossible. So, how would Mary respond to all of this? Point three, a humble response. A humble response. While Mary was greatly troubled at the beginning of this announcement, look at verse 38. I absolutely love this. It's one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Isn't that beautiful? Because she really does comprehend God's grace. She knows and submits to her identity as a servant of the Lord. Whatever God wants from her, from this point forward, she's all in. She's there to serve the Lord, not her own agenda, not her own ideas of how she thinks things should go. Not her plan of self-fulfillment. She's the servant of the Lord. Then, look at this glorious sentence that follows. She says, Let it be to me according to your word. Let that sit with you for just a moment. Let it be to me according to your word. This is a godly woman. She's fully committed to whatever God says, no matter what the outcome is. Let it be to me according to your word, God. Again, what's about to happen in Mary's life is going to be costly. But here she is, submitting to God's word, trusting God with her plans, trusting God with her future. Trusting God with her whole life. Friends, this is the only proper response to the Christmas story. The Christmas story, in its barest essence, is this. God the Father sent his one and only Son to become flesh, to become human. He was born of the Virgin Mary. But he didn't just come so that we could have Christmas pageants, sing good songs, and give gifts to each other at this time of year. He came to live a perfect life and then to die on a cross as a substitute for sinners. He came to offer eternal life for those who would repent and believe in him. He came to offer unmerited Unconditional grace to undeserving sinners like you and me. He makes the impossible possible. There's only two different ways to respond to this truth. You can reject it and remain in unbelief. Or you can respond like Mary does here in this text. 
You can respond in complete trust. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, she says. Let it be to me according to your word. Now understand that Mary's life was never the same. Truly receiving God's grace will unsettle your life. It may even mean more hardship on this earth. But one thing's for sure. You'll never regret it in eternity. Because the same Savior, Jesus, the truly great Davidic King, is still on the throne in heaven. He's sovereign over all things. He's faithful and good. He's coming back for his people. And we'll spend eternal life with him. That's the miracle of Christmas. And so the question is, how will you respond? Let's pray.